your weekly Selk Grassroots podcast, brought to you by the Down to Play app. Uh, it's it's not conducive to to like improve stamina or anything like that, but I fill out a, a referee shirt quite well, which is <laughs> when I walk on the field. I mean, I've, I've, I'm pretty sure when I put on Twitter, I, I can ref your game. People see my profile photo on Twitter and go, nah. Nah, I, I don't. <laughs> Not you. <laughs> Not this grok. Welcome to the sixth episode are we on now of uh, the final whistle. Um, obviously, I'm joined again by uh, Anne Canavan and uh, Martin Cassidy. And um, today we're joined by sports psychologist uh, David Charlton. Um, really pleased to have him here um, to give us another point of view on um, on sort of a lot of ideas around what we discuss generally within refereeing and, and to give us a perspective on that. And I, I work quite uh, quite regularly with David and bounce a lot of ideas off him and, and his experience because, you know, he has experience of working with people who are not just obviously involved in football, but in rugby, in, 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 um, in football as players, in, in motor, motorcycling racing, um, all sorts of sports, golf, everything. So yeah, uh, really pleased to have him. Um, uh, you know, Dave might want to say a little bit about, about what he does as well now. Yeah. Well, firstly, yeah, thanks for the invite. Uh, really, really looking forward to, to the bit cracking banter and obviously sharing some ideas. Um, yeah, like Nathan says, my job ultimately is to help athletes reach their goals faster. And mental toughness is the development mental toughness is the key theme around my work. So yeah, looking forward to it. It's nice to have someone called Charlton on our on our podcast. Obviously. No, re- no relation to any of the uh, the famous or is there? You know? Or is there? Or is there? Same yeah, point. Or is there? My dad is called Bobby. Oh, love it, love it. <laughs> and one of his cousins is called Jack. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> but nice. unfortunately, not the not the famous ones. <laughs> oh, bless you. Well, Nathan, Nathan, when when we've talked on our on our podcast, and you see the way me and uh, aunt are always a bit left field and a bit you know, a bit different. And you're always very considered and very professional, which we're very proud to have you on here for those reasons. How does that transfer between like what you and David would ask of a referee on the perception of what you do and the psychology of delivering, you know, a safe event? Well, I think that obviously when we're talking to referees, we're talking about understanding, you know, like we say, achieving the goals and what makes them tick and all that kind of thing. And I think... I think I think it's a great comparison, really, because if you look at someone like yourself, Martin, who's coaching it on a technical level, okay, your objective is to make them a better referee from things that they do. So it might be signals, it might be body language, it might be, you know, t- giving them ideas about, you know, sort of the way that they move around the pitch and all that kind of thing that, that improves their overall match control and all the other things that they're getting assessed on. But actually, from our side, it's more about the way that they think and the way that they feel when, they, when they're doing all these things that you describe. So I think it goes hand in hand in terms of the way that we look sort of a little bit differently at, at the way we approach things when we, when we look at work with officials. I would say at the same time, though, when you are looking to 
try and help somebody, you know, get from A to B and reach their goals. It might be that you you end up looking at lifestyle and how the how they live their life, what's what stresses are are going on in their lives, especially now, you know, with with COVID and the situation we're in and how that goes on to potentially impact their their day to day habits and their, and their refereeing. Um, you, you you know you you might even signpost them towards a a personal trainer or a you know strength and conditioning coach a nutritionist those those sort of factors do come into it even i suppose in the, you wouldn't get involved in the technical aspects of the refereeing but if they did have a problem then you would try and encourage them to have some sort of conversations to be able to to help themselves I was going to ask there, just following on from that, do you ever encounter people where you're like, listen, I've I've observed you for a while here and I think refereeing's not for you. Do you ever, do you ever give that sort of advice? Because I, I've, I think I've met people who referee and I'm like, you don't have the right mindset or you're not doing it for the right reasons. But I would never say that to them. Is there, a, is there, is there something there? Um, I know exactly where you're coming from. It's, I would say it's not my job to tell them whether they should or shouldn't referee. I might observe that and be thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> However, it would it would all be about questions, open questions, more and more questions, really trying to build up some evidence, if you like. And that could take an hour. It could take 10 hours over, you know, two or three months before they actually come to the decision and, and own that decision. So, yeah, I certainly wouldn't be turning around saying, yeah, you're not fit to be a referee. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, in, it's interesting because I did that actually once working for the FA. I was very honest with a lad. He wasn't good enough. And I told him so. And he did go back down because he just he just, he just just wasn't ready for that level. And I did think it would be unfair on me to try and keep putting pressure on him to do these stuff to climb the ladder when he clearly, he clearly wasn't within his, his ammunition. But when I think it's really important where where you, you, Dave, and you, Nathan, sit, in it, I think it's quite crucial to, to all mass officials at all levels because the way I, I became aware of this sort of angle, if that's the right way to use, was a, I had a friend who passed away a couple of years ago, a really, really close friend called Mark Taylor. He was a grassroots referee, started late, wanted to give something back, but didn't get up to the echelons that, that you know, others are lucky to operate at. And I was, I was at a game coaching a, a referee in a, quite, quite a high-up game. And it's a spectator had a heart attack at half time. So the safety officer come in and said, look, we can't start the second half. We've got an ambulance coming in and blah, blah, blah. You know, I think we've got them around, but, you know, just delay. Just delay it. So we said, okay. So so I went out and I went to the home manager, the way manager, told him what's going on. I then went to the secretary said, can you make an announcement? So all the fans aren't frustrated. You know, it's going to be delays. It's the welfare of the spectator. You know, then what we'll do, we'll give you a buzz when we're five minutes from going back out, so we're going to have a warm-up, blah, blah, blah. No problem going back in. So I said to the referee, right, listen, I've done it. I told him what I've just done and all that. And everything was great. Everyone was happy. No problems at all. In the car on the way home, my mate, Matt Taylor, bless him, his eyes, said to me, Scouse, why did you do that? And I said, well, what do you mean? Why did I do that? I'm his coach. He said, well, what did he learn? Because you did it all. What you should have done, you should have got him and said, look, you go make sure you talk to the stadium now, sir. You go make sure that you do. Because that means look like you were in the game. And it was a huge layer point for me about pointing people in the right direction about to think. Mm-hmm. I think this is where you, you two guys are, are crucial in, 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 in this part of the game. 
Or you could have done, you see, the thing is, what I was thinking, what, what I was thinking you, you could have done is, is obviously, because, you know, you've got the benefit of your experience, Martin, the, the levels you've been at, and knowing obviously what it's like with a crowd of thousands, you know, and, and things like that, and how you would deal with that situation, being, being an official in that uh, environment. So I think that potentially even just going with him and, and then making sure he doesn't miss anything crucial is, is another point, because if he hears you say it, then the next time, hopefully there wouldn't be a next time, you know what I mean? If, if there was a next time, then um, he, he would be fully equipped and fully armed with the information that he needed to, to do it. If, if he wasn't being observed or he didn't have a coach with him and he was just there, you know, obviously with assistance because obviously we know that some, not all games are covered. So I think I think it would have been really good to obviously get the little, yeah. the little niceties of that. Because they didn't know who I was. I was just like going around with a shirt and tie on. It was little scouts, folks. You know, like mates do this, do that. They're all probably thinking, is this that? It's a piece of reed. So no one really sort of like, no one really thought that who I was and it didn't have the impact on it. So that, that me, that really taught me to develop my own coaching techniques about how people learn and what way they should learn and, and do it accordingly. But where that led on to, is it was a midweek game. And, and David, I really like your opinion on this because we've all talked on this, three of us, about the challenges from a midweek game for all participants, players and the match officials, to a Saturday game because you, you get your kit ready in the morning. You go to work for a full day. You might be on a you might be on a on a building site. You might be in an office. Well, then you got to rush in big hours traffic to get to a game in time. And and then when you get to the game, you're already wound up as a player or even as a referee. Where your tolerance levels are a difference. You know, is there any evidence that you've talked about those situations affecting the psychology of a of a sportsman or, or woman? Yeah, well, yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, let's face it: if if you think about the like the optimal performance level, level, um, someone's what stress levels may well move from the bottom to to sort of middle of the road, if you like. That's pr- or slightly above. And yeah, if you're running late, you've had an argument at work or something, and yet you're starting up here, then yeah, it's every everybody's going to. It's going to affect people differently, isn't it? It might be that as a referee, you're a bit more confrontational, um, or you might you might be the opposite, where you're thinking, "And I just want to chill out and relax here." So you let a few things go, and before you know it, you've lost control of the game. Mm. And equally, the the players are the same as well. Sorry, Hans. Yeah, players no, are the same too. I was going to say that just thinking about what you said there. One of the the I have a really strong memory about. A similar incident to that. I was working in Hastings. Uh, in is an office job. I was in Hastings, uh, and I had an evening game. Uh, it was near Gatwick Airport, and it was like a, a seven seven thirty kickoff, something like that. And I got out of work at just after five o'clock. Should have been plenty of time, but the that part of the country being the way it is, uh, if you get like one accident, then you you gridlocked for for ages. And I was sat in traffic. It was getting closer to kickoff. And I think I actually got there in, in the end about quarter past seven for a 7.30 kickoff. And I don't remember the game whatsoever, but I do remember the feeling of, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. I'm letting the other officials down. I'm letting two clubs down here. What if I don't make it in time? So, yeah, my stress levels were through the roof. And I remember feeling like that more so than I remember actually doing the game. So... Like you said, your stress levels are through the roof when you start. That's all you're thinking about when you actually start the game. I probably missed something I wasn't even aware of because mm-hmm. of because of that. 
I would say the, like, the most important thing is is the, is the awareness of actually what happens to you um, and then try and do something about it. So if you had a half an hour drive in the car there, then, you know, maybe actually sticking on classic FM or some sort of music like that, which just mellows you, would be a, a nice, like a helpful technique um, rather than, say, putting talk sport on or, or something like that. Um, just like you know, it's like mindfulness is a, is a big thing. Um, you don't want to be too mindful, like looking at the surroundings when you're driving in the car, because obviously you wouldn't be looking at the road, <laughs> but uh, letting yourself drift in that way um, might not be such a bad thing. Um, I think thinking about now, though, obviously a lot of people like yourself, Ant, are going to be refereeing for the first time in, in a long time. And if you know, if you think of the, the whole situation with COVID, referees, players, coaches, everyone's been affected by it in different ways. So I would, I would imagine over the next couple of weeks, refereeing a game will be, you know, very well, very different to what it what it has been like in the past. I think that um, you know, obviously, I refereed my first game last night. Obviously, since that, since we've, we've been allowed to, to do games and. Um, it was a really nice one to sort of get back into because it was a under 13s game. So it, it was quite, uh, it wasn't the longest game, but it was, it was a good one for me personally. When I got offered it, I, I snapped the hands off because I thought this is a really good way for me to come into a game. It's not going to have a lot of pressure on it. We're not going to be dealing with adults here. We're just going to be dealing with young kids and getting, getting back to it for the first time. And it allows me to get used to all the protocols that are in place and it allows me to get used to how things are going to be in a game which has a, lot, a little bit less pressure on it. So um, that that was really positive. But obviously, I, I turned up at the venue and um, and immediately I'm looking around and I'm seeing loads and loads of parents, spectators, as they would normally be. So, you know, you've got different households all clubbed together. You know, I, I looked to my left just before I, I went on the pitch and there was a group of three or four women who were obviously just really close to each other. And and obviously what was kind of burning in my head at that time was the, the letter I think came up yesterday or the day before where they were basically saying, look, level air, step seven, even downwards to, to, the, to the youth game. Only under 18s have one person who is sort of for a safeguard and reason and that's it. And, and, and the thing is, I think you have to understand that when you're on your own, and you go into a place like that, you've just got to accept that certain people are going to take certain risks and probably what you should be focusing on is, is influencing as much as you can on the pitch, making sure that things are done. So looking after yourself as a referee, make sure you don't pick up the ball and stuff like that. Because obviously, you know that you say at the clubs, well, look, you're responsible for the ball pressure and all those things. And I think that it all comes to looking after yourself. But... Of course, there's nervousness. You turn it up with um with a mask on until you you um you begin your warm up and all those things. It's just things that you've got to remember because we talk about it um a lot about the routines that we go into um and the and the, the sort of the way we just sort of switch on and and, and just click into auto drive almost as, as referees when we turn up we go through the, the motions. So, and obviously, probably one of the last things you would do before um. Well, not one of the last. Well, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, no, I suppose what is one of the last things you would do is, is to check check the match ball pressure and things like that. 
and actually say to clubs, look, you're going to have to be responsible for this because I can't touch the ball and things like that is, it's a new way of doing things and it's going to take time. And I think that's why probably it is a good idea that we're going to get. I would think that, that, that this October ruling about crowds will, will, will come into affect the grassroots game as well. So we're going to have a couple of months and I think that a couple of months is actually going to be really good for referees because it gives us a couple of months to, to get to grips with the way that, that things are going to be when competitive football returns as well. Sorry, you're not on my phone again. I have it on silence. Because it's rigged up to me laptop thing, it comes up on me blew my laptop, so I've just turned it off. So forgive me for uh, my phone. Basic error again. So forgive me, <laughs> guys. David, if I can throw something at you, what Nathan's just said there, interestingly, with the different challenges of parents and, and stuff. What sort of coping me- mechanisms do, do you recommend in those sort of environments within the realms of football or sport? Well, let's well start. Well, let's start with the, the situation now. I think what one thing I would be doing if I was a, a referee would be considering what, what, what it's going to actually look like beforehand. Potentially, you know, get a pen and a pen and paper out and think about what your pre-match routines going to going to involve to help you, you know, to get the best out of yourself on the pitch. And then, then you need to really consider what potentially some of the players are going through. Some will, well, some will be approaching a game with um, what their confidence level will be down a little bit. They're, they'll not trust their skills. They'll probably be easily frustrated after a period because they're not playing the way they want to. Some will be uh, out of shape. So some, you know, some tackles might go flying in there, which <laughs> whether you know whether half a second too late. Um, and then you've got. I mean, there'll be other factors as well, I'm sure. Um, coaches, you know, coaches might have had a, a, a stressful, like, stressful period with COVID. So their communication's a bit different. They might be a bit more confrontational than they, they usually are. So I think by writing down some of those things, that can help mentally prepare you. And if, yeah, you want to throw like parents into the mix and, the types of behaviour parents are likely to be facing, that, that's going to help you. If you want to step it up a, another notch in your preparation, like visualise yourself going through your warm-up, your preparation, the types of challenges that you, you're going to occur um, and how you want to deal with those types of challenges. That can, yeah, that can only benefit you as a referee and obviously benefit the players when it comes down to the, the actual performance. Just on a point of protocol, um, with with the COVID guidelines, it, it it's not down to the the referee if if he or she sees something that they think is breaking protocol to address it at the time. It's just to report it afterwards, isn't it? Because what I'm worried about is, as a referee, is you want to control as many of the variables as possible, and that will help, you know, go keep calm and, and measured and composed and all the things that you want to be as a referee. But if a club is not taking the COVID guidelines seriously, what is the referee to do in that situation? Is, is, is the referee to, to try and correct it as he would, you know, a, a foul that he or she sees on the field of play? Or, or I'm, I'm confused about the guidelines, to be honest. Well, I, I think my, well, my interpretation of it Ant, would definitely be to think, well, what's our job as referees? Our job as referees is to ensure the safety of everybody there. That that's our responsibility. And I think that if 
that if, in your opinion, then that constitutes something that's not safe and, and that, that, that there's, someone, there's someone or a group of people who are endangering the safety of everybody who's present, including obviously ourselves as officials. And I think it's our, our uh, probably responsibility to say, hey, look, we're not going to have this anymore. We're not going to accept this anymore. We're just going to, we're going to um, stop this game and, and just and not allow it. And then the reasons for that going into the, uh, to the FA are reported as such that this, this, this club was taking too many liberties. There was too many problems. We just, we, we, I didn't feel it was safe. And, you know, I think probably in this situation as well, there's going to be somebody who will back you up, will say, yeah, actually, we don't think this is safe either. And, and I think if you get a manager of a club saying that they feel that their opponents are doing things that are unsafe, that I think that will then uh, definitely justify that. My, my concern is you get um, uh, an over-officious or a busybody referee that will physically say to spectators to, to try and separate them or maintain them. Because you see videos cropping up on social media all the time of people, you know, people are, people are scared. Uh, it's fair to say that people are scared yeah. of COVID, and, uh, and you know, rightly so. It's it's a deadly pandemic. But um, I think there's got to be a balance between addressing something like, like you would an, an unruly spectator. Just address it with with your point of contact or a club official, and get them to do it rather than yeah. you know confronting it head on. Um, but then also, don't be don't be afraid of saying. I, as the referee, like you said, I'm not happy with this and I'm not going to referee this game anymore. And then that's that's it. Uh, you know, yeah. re- report what you see to the, to the FA. What I'm worried about is the over-officious referee that tries to correct what they see uh, in the same way that they would inside the white lines. And it's starting some sort of pushback from, from people yeah. who will say, ah, COVID's a load of bollocks, get, get, you know, yeah. sort of thing. So... I think, I think, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what, what I would say Anne, is that, you know, obviously we've got these people who we as officials can work with, but I believe it's not until the competitive fixtures start, but I, I think it's a, it's a, what do they call it, a COVID-19 officer or something? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So that, that will be almost like, um, used to, I say used to, what you have in, in maybe uh, youth football in particular is somebody who is basically a welfare person. And, and if there's, somebody who is causing problems at a parent spectator, you would then go to that welfare person and say, can you please deal with that parent spectator who's causing a problem with this fixture? You can use, I think this, this, but I believe it's, there's going to be a safety briefing. So you'll know who this person is. There's going to be a safety briefing before the game from this person when it's competitive, um, when a competitive fixture start. And then I think it is up to this person to then sort of say, potentially maybe use the same sort of directive where a problem is identified. You then speak to the, 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 the coronavirus officer and say, look, we've got this problem with this team. They're not quite doing things in the correct manner. Can you have a word? And then you escalate it again and say, okay, we, we can't continue because this is not safe. Um, beyond that, and I think I think it will be when the competitive sex you start about the way we use these these people who are, who are um, sort of dignitaries, if you want to call them that, to, to deal with with them, uh, deal with with the incidents and help us manage the game as much as possible. So, from what you're saying there, the in the meantime, friendly games, it could be quite tough for referees because you're going to get some people who abide by the rules, 
some people who are going to be quite lax, just just like in the workplace in some respects. So yes. surely, like as your your part as referees, are going to have to be to to clearly spell out what you expect and what you don't expect, and then then you're going to have to make judgments as it has and when it happens. Yeah, yeah, I think it's um, we have challenges all the time. Let's be honest, that you know, COVID isn't. Is is unique in the sense where it's a huge problem that is, you know, can be a matter of life and death. And as Anthony said, you know, people are genuinely scared. But I don't think it's the people that are scared who are the problem. It's those COVID idiots who think they're immortal and they're not, you know, going to catch you. They're the ones that are going to be the idiots. And I think we should have a look at framing this sim- simply, really. It's like when you're at a grassroots game and there's people on the side drinking, you know, you, there's ways of dealing with it, isn't it? You don't want to go over there to a drunken person and go, Hey, you can't drink here. I think regulations say this. I think it's always having you know how how to deal with it, and then you would have you know you you, you can't go over to a crowd and say like you've all got to stop swearing, you know when there's a thousand people in the stands. But if there's one person on the side, you can manage it. You might be able to imagine it, manage it, and know how to deal with it. So I think don't be scared of, of addressing a problem like that. And I think a lot of people, um, like with referee abuse, you stand there and someone next to them is giving the referee. A young referee, maybe fourteen-year-old girl, all kinds of abuse, and the person next to them doesn't say a word, even though they're equally appalled by it. So I think the nature of this is, I think, be interesting to David's take on this. When you see those sort of things happen, I can never understand why referee abuse, particularly, is grows when there might be two people who's doing it on the side of the field of play at grassroots level, and there's twenty other people who don't say a word and let it happen. And I think. Doing a currency exchange again with regards to COVID and the things there, you know, are people really going to go to someone and say, excuse me, you'd be two meters away, or excuse me, you haven't done this yet, I haven't done that. And I think it's that responsibility and the challenge of being responsible, I like, is, a, is the challenge here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you'd like to think people are going to be responsible. You know, you say with the social distancing, the reality is, though, it probably won't happen, will it, in, in some cases? Um, so yeah, I can see how as a young referee, especially that could be more taxing and more challenging for them. Then is it not the responsibility of some of the, the referee associations, the counties to, to actually support them around these scenarios and you know, give them bad on extra training around being assertive, that, that sort of thing to, to actually help them. I would I would imagine like more experienced referees, like a certain your authorities, just something it comes that comes quite naturally to you. But youngsters, yeah, that does throw that question out uh, as far as developing those qualities, if you ask me. And it is a massive responsibility, and I'm sure Martin will agree and Ant as well. Uh, but particularly Martin, because of some of the, the referees he, he's directly dealt with. Is it's a massive responsibility for somebody who's probably probably any referee who's under the age of eighteen to be responsible for, for something which is, is so important as, as coronavirus protocol. It's a massive, massive responsibility that for somebody who's who's a child. Yeah, I think I think what's interesting is everyone who like Manchester FA, you know, I think is a really progressive uh, county FA chief execs fellow called Colin Bridgeford. He's a Man United fan, but I want all that against him. Really forward thinking, they've done a cracker video. Of like almost a cartoon explaining it visually, which I think that's one of the points that missed because when you see a big documents like this advice, some people can have like document blindness, can't they? You know, I'm the same with number blindness. It might be something we could talk about, David. When I see numbers, I'm a bit like, oh, 
I get a little bit scared by a mass of numbers. And I think people can do that. The documents, I think, the document came out so late from the, from the county of A in regards to, you know, friendlies are starting on a, on a, on August the 1st, and this document still wasn't out by the, by the 29th. I think that's, that's something that, you know, how can you question it? How can you ask, ask questions on a Thursday, still Friday, when, you know, you're really worried about what's going to happen on Saturday. So I think that was the, the first challenge. But I think how you deliver these messages of COVID advice is not just the documents. I think having different ways of letting people learn about these processes in a video, not just in one big document that people would be scared by. I think that's where Manchester FA have, um, have led the way there, really. I think it's, it's how you learn it as well. It's not scary, isn't it? If you just see one, if you sit down with someone and say, well, I'm going to teach you now, you know, the people yeah. turn off. If you teach people by stealth almost, you tend to get better results. Mm -hmm. And it's always the different ways, isn't it? Some people learn by listening, seeing, writing, whatever it is. So I think that there probably is a, a bit of a responsibility for the powers that be to kind of address that that fact that we're all learning different ways and we all need to to maybe hear it in a different manner to, to really get the full kind of understanding of what they're actually trying to tell us. And not throw the documents out. And interestingly, at the beginning, maybe it's the second page on every type of media they've put out. There's a disclaimer. A big disclaimer comes up. Disclaimer is if they say, oh, this goes wrong, don't blame us. Now that yeah. in a sense tells me, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. What's all this about? And I think that would see when I see that disclaimer, here I am 55. I know I look 35, but I'm 55. <laughs> Seeing this um, <laughs> disclaimer, I just think, oh, really? Is that is this really as accurate as it is? What have I got to fall back on if I follow the advice that you're offering me? Oh, but there's a, there's a disclaimer at the beginning of it saying, if it doesn't go work right, don't blame us. Yeah. I suppose with technology now as well, that they've got so many options in order to ed educate people through like communicating like this and people putting videos together to like web webinars as such, just infographics, all sorts of different things, blogs like uh, Nathan's uh, lengthy blogs. Well, while, while we're on the subject of uh, education and learning and stuff like that, I did see something that popped up on the, on Rep Support UK um about the fa learning department uh which is you know great if you want to be a coach or you want to get involved on that side of things um but the refereeing side of things seems to be a little bit almost neglected like there's there's two streams of fa learning um and martin as it was posted on the the ref support uk what what's the background behind it is is it two separate things two separate streams is it being engulfed in one what what's happening there well, basically, I don't think anyone's got a clue, including the FA, really, if I'm honest. Where, where it's come from, where it's come from is um, many, many managers, coaches at grassroots level end up being referees because there are, there are enough referees so they think, oh, we haven't got a game, I'll do the game yourself. So they'll do it as an unqualified referee. Think, oh, I quite enjoyed this. And then they'll take, they'll take the course. Now, they've already done their badges, whatever level of badges they do to be a, a coach. And lots were telling us via all, all our social media and directly emailing us saying, you know what, the coaching that we get, particularly during COVID, is being top, top draw. We've got access to all these things. It's been brilliant. And I'm a referee and there's nothing like it with regards to refereeing. So here we are, this huge chasm. If I'm doing two parts of the game as a participant, a player, still coach, and a referee, and the learning mechanisms they have there, they're just miles apart. And the first question is, 
is, is the referees department part of the FA? And if so, why aren't FA learning doing the learning of someone that works for the FA? I don't get this disconnect where of all the caliber of stuff that FA learning pull out, it's absolutely top, top draw. In, 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 <laughs> interestingly, people come from all over the world to take FA coaches' badges. Goes right up to UA for A and B, and there's all kinds of things that could, that lead into that from, from the FA. But there's nothing like that for refereeing. You just become a promotion candidate, and you pass the, the only certificate you're going to get is to pass that basic referees course, and you get nothing else. You might go around to someone and say, "Oh, I'm at level three. Well, I've only got your win for that. And I think looking at it that way, where there's another way of recognizing the evolution of a referee within their field, I think needs to be recognised because there's an awful lot of people who do an awful lot of work in refereeing, just as committed as any player or any coach, dedicated to travelling everywhere, for pittance, just like coaches do. But they don't have any badge to say, I'm an FA. There's nothing there. There's and equally the same with observers. When you look at some of these observers who are top draw, there's glass ceilings for them. What's their target? You know, there's nothing there. I remember writing to the FA one saying, why don't you just give every single assessor, that's who it was then, a free ticket to the finals at uh, Wembley. Now they have the FA Vars and FA Trophy. Never going to fill it in a million years of every assessor in the country brought his wife and kids. He still wouldn't fill it. So with just as some sort of token gesture that doesn't cross the FA anything, every, every assessor should... Those little things, I think, that you get in coaching football, me, me so-and-so level badge. This, there's a really clear, tangible achievements. But as a referee, there's nothing there. And the learning process to achieve them just isn't there. You go to level four, you go out, out of your county. So you get stuck in this area of five and four where are you a county referee or a national referee and then you dip into Wembley then and then Wembley controls everything you do. There just seems to be no real level of achievement. You just get told that I'm a level seven. And then the FA changed the levels. You know, there was used to be level one, two, three. Now there's got 10 levels as they. So I just think having this sort of, if the FA learning did it, I really believe that the specialists they've got in there, because no one in the referees department, as far as I know, is a teacher. They're only tutors. And the tutor courses they take are what are done by the FA. So there's a, an Ofsted don't regulate the FA and say so you've your learnings up to scratch. So I think there's lots that can be done there. But I just think the way to go is that FA learning that delivers the training for referees in that professional manner, like they do with coaches. That's where it's all come from. And make it accessible for everyone. Because I think... Look, if you're not going for a promotion, it seems that you've completely forgotten about. You won't get any of these extra uh, uh, promotions, like the seminars where you'll go over the laws of the game or the seminars where you'll be going over positioning of, and, and uh, the technique and stuff like that. And that that seems a shame because there's, there's not a lot of referees that will go for that promotion. So you're losing out on a huge engagement on a huge amount of referees there. Uh, and second of all, I remember back when I started refereeing in around 2003 or something like that, we got uh, a little incentive book where every game you refereed, you got 10 points. You took a fitness test. There were three standards you could get, gold, silver, and bronze. The, the longer you went around on the fitness test, the more points you got. Uh, if you was assessed or a mentor, you got points for doing that. At the end of the season, you could spend these points on new kits, flags, you can spend them on just all sorts of stuff in, in, in I think it was the RA shop or something like that. FA shop. Yeah, okay. FA shop. It disappeared. It went. And people will probably say that wasn't cost effective uh, for whatever reason. But 
there was nothing in to replace it. There was no incentive that said, okay, well, we're taking that away because it costs too much, but let's, like you say, bring this in uh, as, as a replacement for it. Um, and sure, okay, some referees will be happy with the money. Uh, some referees won't want promotion. And even if there was learning available to them, they wouldn't take it. They're quite happy, you know, in their lane at that level. But it, it just, it, there's, there seems to be something missing that was there not that long ago. And that just seems a shame. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how this goes, if I'm being totally honest with you, because I got the email um, just before um, just before we came on, and, uh, and it was an hour before we came on, I think it was. And I was really, really interested to see exactly how um, how that was going to play out, because, you know, obviously they're talking about doing this to get more people involved. They're talking about a community thing. So I definitely think that it's going to be a really, really interesting thing. I mean, like they said here, that they feel that they can far better support referees by by doing this, um, and you can have one log on for everything. Which I'm not really sure if that's very secure, but there you go. But it's 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 more about this this stuff about saying, oh, we, we, you know, there's going to be more ways for for referees to join the conversation, to find support, build connections, um, and have new discussions and blogs and things, and it will be safer. Uh, so it'll have more safeguarding standards um, and it'll be fit for the future and all that kind of thing. So I, I do think it's going to be really, really interesting. And there's absolutely no doubt that it's absolutely very well-intentioned, this, uh, no this new vehicle. And I definitely think that whilst it's not going to address some of the, the things that, you know, that, that yourself, Martin, uh, and Anne have just touched on in terms of giving a physical incentive to referees to say, look, we'll do this for you at the end of the season. I think what it hopefully will do is bring them in from the cold a little bit more where they've felt, obviously, particularly the ones who know how much um, help coaches have had and, and feel that referees have not had as much. Hopefully, they'll, they'll they'll be able to say from their position of being in both camps to actually be able to say, oh, actually, it's a little bit more equal now and there is a bit more parity in terms of, of that inclusiveness. So I think that, you know, because... Obviously, they're talking about it being in the boot room, which I do believe is a, a coaching thing. So it's almost as if referees are being brought into a pre-existing area. Um, so I think that it will be definitely very, very interesting. Starting on September the 1st, it will be very interesting to see how it goes over, well, over the course of this coming season, really, because that'll be the first big test for it. I suppose when you think, when you think about it um, in terms with, with refereeing, I know, Nathan, you know the numbers, and you, you probably do Martin Nant as well. In refereeing, there's a lot of referees get lost to the system, don't they? Year upon year. And if yeah, these learning channels are ramped up and there's more support at a range of different levels, you're more likely then to have more motivated, more confident officials who feel better about refereeing in general. So they're yeah, they're likely to to stay in the in the refereeing game, if you like. Um and then also the the people who are maybe neglected from being able to develop themselves, they might come good as well. And because, yeah, and be, I don't know, like a left field talent, if you like, um, and, and come through the, and come through. But without that, then, yeah, it can make their lives a lot more difficult. Speaking personally, I think that, you know, what, make, what makes me feel good is, 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 is I, I want to say it in the, in the right way here, what makes me feel good as a referee is, is a human being ultimately. So I know that if Martin's my coach, Martin's going to be a really, 
he's gonna he's gonna go in the back for me. He's gonna be a really great guy for me. He's gonna he's gonna fill me with the confidence that I need. But he's also gonna go about it the right way in terms of saying you need to improve on this. That wasn't quite good enough, and you can achieve a, a better level of doing that by doing this and adding this. And and I think that that's what worries me. And I, I know I don't want to go into it into a great deal of detail, but I do know that obviously, uh, unfortunately, this this uh, week we've lost an RDO. And um, I think that that's uh, in terms of their, the position of their jobs being taken by sort of two counties merging into one in the refereeing department. And I just hope that you know that, that the referees in both in both counties that are involved in this still get the level of support. And I'm not I'm not suggesting that they wouldn't. I'm just saying that I feel that that you know less people is, is not necessarily is, is not necessarily a good thing so if there are more people who are actually available through these forums that you can then pick up the phone to and maybe get a bit of advice then we maybe haven't lost as much but if it's if it's something to placate that then hopefully these referees will still get the, the right level of support because like i say i get a real i get a real good feeling from from human beings being open and honest and saying Nathan, look at this. Nathan, look at that. You did really well there, Nathan, but you need to improve this. And, and those are the things that, that definitely, speaking for me as a referee that's active, those are the things that I really like is somebody having a conversation with me and being open and honest. So I just hope that, that that's still possible. Yeah, one of the things I was going to say today when, when you come in with it, there's a great point there, was the, do, is the evidence psychologically that sort of incentives work in regards to keeping people engaged, making them feel part of it. Is, is there any psychological link or benefit that you feel? I know you can frame it with rewards and stuff like that, but it's always, I, I, I agree with, with, with the lads there that um, when you feel part of something, you feel less disenfranchised. You know, with the FA incentive scheme, I was involved there because my business was selling goods to that incentive scheme and I knew how popular it was. And I knew that people would say, oh, can I swap this from swapping that? And it wasn't really the fact of what they were getting. It was the fact that they were getting something. And I think, is there any correlation between that psychologically and in sport? Yeah, well, no doubt about it, yeah. I suppose what, what I'm thinking, if I worked for the FA, the, based around what you're saying, the first thing I would do is send a questionnaire out to every single referee, ask them their opinion, make them feel valued, well, then, obviously, you've got to then act on that. Um, and, and then, yeah, it's a, it's a win-win, isn't it, really? People are going to, if they, if they feel valued, that the things are being acted upon mm-hmm. and you're actually delivering what you say you're going to and it's, it's the stuff that referees actually want, then, yeah, no doubt about it. They're going to be motivated, they're going to be confident and you're going to keep them in the game. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because... When the FA have done surveys in the past, they say, right, tell us what you think of us. Tell us what you think of us and send your replies to so-and-so-and-so-and-so at the FA.com. Am I really going to email the FA and say, actually, the referees department is rubbish? And so-and-so-and-so-and-so said to me once that you were rubbish. They never did that. The F, particularly the referees department don't seem to do that. Let's take it away. Let's give it to someone who collates all that information, nothing to do with the FA, where everyone can be really, really honest. And almost like a whistleblowing process, you know, independently. And then I'm sure you will get a more honest feedback than the head of referee and send an email saying, oh, answer this mail chip and send it back to me. It ain't going to happen. It just isn't, isn't going to happen. Yeah. And I think until we take ownership of that identification, 
referees are definitely scared to tell them what's wrong because they fear there may be consequences of that opinion if it differs to those in power. And I think that's not just, let's be honest, that's just not football, is it? I can't throw that at the FA, FA's fault. I think that's industry in general, isn't it? This sort of ability to sort of tell someone how you really feel without the person you're talking about, you know, having a decision on those, on those opinions. And I think when we take that away from, you know, referees, whether you're a 65-year-old lad who does one game a month to, to a, a level two who's climbed the ladder and wants to go up and out there every week, I think we've all got a part to play in what a referee wants and, and what, what makes a good referee. What are you, what are you talking about there? Um, if I go back to the, the whole survey thing, if, if you look at like really good organisations, businesses, they would make that part of their process. That's part of the way they're going to build this learning style culture. So the, the survey wouldn't just go out once in every five years. It would be a mm-hmm. six monthly, an annual thing. And also the important thing, which you've said, it would be anonymous as well. So then people are free to express their, their, their opinions. And that's, that's, that's a vital thing. Yeah, thanks for that. I think, I'm sure the FA sent one out that was sorted through another company. Well, I can't remember getting the feedback on it. Maybe it was so horrendous, he thought, we're not going to put this those Just swear that. Well, one of the things that, um, I guess, great to have you on here, Dave. I think it's great. And I, one of the things I wanted to talk about was we, um, I believe Nathan's going in for the process of uh, court, aren't you, mate? Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I think it's a wonderful opportunity that's been offered through being in the promotion system. Um, and, I, and I hope that, that it can definitely add value because obviously, you know, you know Martin and, and Ant as well, that when you go into those environments um, where you get the best, and I know that in my county there's, there's football league assistants, there's football league select group two referees involved in that. Um, and we're lucky to have it, a few select, I think what, two or three, maybe even four, uh, select group two referees in, in my county so uh, you know to have their involvement and to get their sort of advice and and, and to ha- have those uh once a month little extra booster bits where you can look at it and you can go okay we're really going to go into detail on this particular point and it, it expands your knowledge in those areas that you know you have you can have your ra meetings and you can have all the other development sometimes it, it actually gives you that little bit extra just to have this. I think I think it's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. And it's and it is something that the FA I feel does really, really well because, you know, I know that people might say, well, it should be like that for all referees, but I, I, like you say, there's not not all referees want it. So it's about actually having a look and seeing who really wants to push on and who wants to do really well. So yeah, really looking forward to that and really looking forward to hopefully being able to be a part of it. I would love to be a part of it because I I have the ambition to go as far as as my ability will take me as a referee. Yeah, well, congratulations first of all. Thanks. Me and Anthony will, will agree on this, that you are a very dedicated, official, very professional. We see the things you do on our WhatsApp groups and the, and the way you are. And I think you'll be an asset, of course. So hopefully, you know, you'll be successful and you go on from strength to strength from, you know, the supporter core. But what I'd like to throw David's way, if, if it's okay, is with these... Um, Groups and I think core comes from UEFA convention money. I think someone can tell me if there's wrong because core is everywhere, every federation has it. So I think it's funded by UEFA and the FA or the national governing bodies have got to put on these schemes. So 
you ain't gonna pay for it, which is why that word's excellence in it, which, which I disagree with. Do you think, David, that when you are in that op- operational environment of I'm gonna be under a center of excellence, does that come with pressures in itself? The word excellence, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I suppose can give a pressure off on it for other people and their perception. Everybody's perception of the word excellence is going to be different. And, and in sport, there's an overlap with the word excellence and the word perfection. So, yeah, you're not allowed to mis- make mistakes, are you, <laughs> if you're in that yeah. center of excellence, potentially? <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that's fine. It's just like, you know, my, my role as a psychologist, um, really, my, my job is to to help a, an athlete, a referee, whoever it is, to, to get the best out of themselves to improve that performance. So I'm probably better off calling myself a performance coach <laughs> because the word psychologist, you, you automatically think, or some people think mental health and problems and, you know, the stigmas there. So, yeah, words are very... Um, have to be thought about very carefully. Yeah, yeah. When Anthony was getting Anthony was getting this ready, we had a, sl- a conversation there, Anthony, when you were sorting out your um, your technical problems, and uh, and, and we said about this because with we're, we're, we're excellence and, uh, and David again was spot on there was was we feel like it, that doesn't give you a get out of jail free card. You know, when, you, when you're down there, and you've got your coach on the sideline, and you you know these, these coaches turn up with sense of referee, excellent written on the written on the you know the, the jackets and the whole thing that brings benefit to it. When I worked for the FA, I purposely never wore any FA logo. Not because I didn't like them, because it was a privilege to work for them. It just comes with its pressures. Oh, you're the FA. And then they're not telling you, you know, they think because you work for the FA, you should have picked McLaren to be manager of England that time. That was your decision. <laughs> you know, you think, no, 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 please, I'm just here for, for refereeing. And I think with excellence, I, I remember watching the lads and the, the coaches there. And the first mistake he made. Oh, is this excellence, is it? The match up match. Yeah. And the, the coach was saying the manager, oh, is this excellence, is it? You sure that isn't the sense of refereeing excrements and not excellence there? You know, and you get all these comments, and I just I just feel great, cause great idea. Should be offered to everyone, not just a few. That, that's my opinion, but I think it's offered within people in the promotion candidates. I'm not sure if it is or isn't, but you know, I think everyone should have have access to this wonderful support that the FA are offering. But Maybe just change that uh, that last word. I'm just not sure that. I think that's it. More with, with that, with the with the excellence thing as well, there is a danger that you will lose some people, some referees, who in their head, because they're in core, because they're in the center of excellence, think I've made it. The rest of the journey is easy now because I'm in this group of officials that will get, mm-hmm. you know, go along this conveyor belt. The path is there ahead of me. Um, before core. There were referee academies. I was in the Cheshire Referee Academy as a, a teenager, and um, I probably should have taken it more seriously than I should have done because there was, um, to, to you know, my detriment. Ultimately, uh, I I had the, the the Cheshire Referees Academy logo on this uh, sky blue polo that we all wore. Um, there was a few people in that group that would. Be like, yeah, yeah, we're we're in this group. We're we're better. We're we're the, the future of refereeing, and there was um, a, a degree of arrogance that that came with that. And I would warn anyone: um, learn from a mistake that I made. Just because you're there, it doesn't mean the rest of the way is easy. If anything, it means you need to work twice as hard, double down, use all of the people, all of the tools, everything that you can that that your your lay referee wouldn't get in in that situation. 
Um, just because you're in core, keep plugging, keep working hard, work harder. Work. Make sure if you're in that room, be the hardest worker in that room, and and show everyone that you've earned that place. Um, and, yeah. and don't be like what I was. <laughs> you know, that, that's brilliant. And don't go to a session and say, "Oh, by the way, I'm in core." Yeah. You know, try and try and shift throw core into every single yeah. conversation you have because you think the session will go. Oh, we must be good in core. Oh, listen, <laughs> listen to chaps and ladies. If you do that, and the assessor's going to have the same opinion of the of the manager, isn't he? You know, you, you haven't got to get get out of jail free cards. It'd be really more beneficial if you keep your mouth stumped. And mm-hmm. afterwards, then it gives you a really good report. Just say, yeah, I've learned that from core. Yeah. Trust me, that works better than trying to flag an assessor. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. What, what, one of the important things I'd, I'd really like, I keep saying assessor, and also observer, but there we go. And Nathan and David and Meg. One of the other things that I that doesn't sit comfortable with me about core, even though I think it's great the FA often these, you know, I don't want to think I want to go to the FA again. I think it's great, you know, they're, they're doing this. But if there's an exit strategy, when we talk about what we've just said, you know, people have should engage, people should be professional, take these opportunities for me. Some of the some of these, you know, Kevin Friend gets involved in a dunny and Anthony Taylor, he was there when I was running the academy for the Southwest. Really great people you you, you could call upon. Mm-hmm. But when you go and you leave core, there's no exit strategy. You're just out. So when you are in core, like Anthony said, going out of it, it's just around the corner if you don't work hard. Mm-hmm. You don't make, make the best of it. Yeah. So And when you go, you literally are on your own. I talked, oh, to, yeah. I talked to Matt and Glenn about it when we had our meeting. I said, one of the problems we've got with core is that people get, get great advice and they mm-hmm. might have a couple of bad games. They get kicked out of core and they've got nobody yeah. apart from the RDO. Now, if you're going to create this, this wonderful learning experience and wonderful, you know, uh, conduits, then please, please just ensure that the break from core isn't sudden, isn't, isn't, isn't harsh, and, that it, and it is a bit of a parachute way of coming out of it yeah. rather than just throwing you out. I think that it's funny because David, David will know, know what I'm talking about when I say this. Um, and it, and it, it harks back to, to when, I, um, when I first, when I first actually wanted to go into to what has now become called used to be referee academy, but um, I wasn't offered a place because I wasn't in the promotion system. So I, I, I was I was invited along to the um, you know to the assessment for it and things, but I wasn't offered a place because I wasn't on, on the promotion system. And that was when it was referee academy, and and I think that um, you know David and I know somebody in the northeast who is is is, is, is working on a project at the moment which looks at players who've left academies. So, you know, obviously Newcastle, Southern, Middlesbrough, um, and, and, and he's he's looking at that kind of thing and about the, the, the way people land from that parachuted out, if you want to call it, and the way they, they get that support or not or non-support. And I think it's a really, really interesting uh, point to think about from that perspective as well because it, it is very harsh. And quite often, if you think about it from the perspective of a player, they're going from a Category 1 academy, which will look at all the, all, the, all the clubs in this area are a Category 1 academies. You then go to play in sometimes the Northern League, Step 6, Step 7 of the non-league system. And it's really, really, it's an unbelievable, I mean, you guys will know, you know, and the Northwest counties and things like that in, uh, sort of in your area and, and places like that. It's, it's, it's a real, real... In terms of facilities and everything we talk about, it's a huge step down, and and you 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 know you often say as well people who you know really well who might 
be so from a player's perspective, it could be a referee that uh, sorry, from a player's perspective, it could be a player who goes who's maybe played who maybe left Man United and Marcus Rashford was one of their teammates and might have scored more goals than Marcus Rashford, but they got released and Marcus Rashford's, you know, going to World Cups. And, but from a referee perspective, it could be a colleague who you, you worked alongside who's now on the football league. Um and 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 it, and those people sort of almost disown you and you go into different worlds. And I think that it's about the mental health and the, and the well-being because there's one player in particular that we're talking about this project that, that you know, the, the gentleman we know is instigated. He, he left, um, I think it was Newcastle, to go to a club in the first division of the Northern League. Um, and the club got rid of him after about six weeks because I think he'd been sent off. He'd been fighting with his teammates in training. And it was all to do with the fact that he couldn't get a grip on the world that he'd arrived into, having left Newcastle where he had an unblemished record disciplinary-wise. Um, and he'd been an absolute model pro, but just didn't reach the standards where they wanted to offer him a new contract. So I think that you have to think also about the effect that it has. You're going to fall out of love with refereeing because, because of this. And, and it's entirely possible that could happen. It's only... Yes, stole my thunder. <laughs> that was that was, the, <laughs> that was the story I was going <laughs> to talk about. I mean, adding to it though, there's research being done. I think it was a Teesside University in academy football, whereby I think if you look at the stats, maybe around about one percent of academy footballers actually make it as a professional footballer. Don't quote us on exact figures here. I believe the the study was looking at somewhere between around about 100 academy footballers and they found that I think it was around about 60 to 70% of those footballers who then were, were moved out of the academy system did end up with some sort of mental health problem, be it anxiety, be it you know, alcohol addictions, drugs, those sort of things, um, because they didn't have the, the coping strategies I suppose, uh, arguably, you could say the support as well to to deal with that. I mean, they're they're at a young age, so maybe referees potentially would be would have better coping strategies, would be more mature and all that to deal with it. But um, yeah, it would be a very interesting study to do around referees who are, like you say, relegated from from this from this area. Mm. There's, I'm going to give a referee a shout out here. There's every a coach coming through, and he got all the way up to National League Premier, which is which is in referees' currency is a is a two way cracker referee, natural man manager, electrician, was naturally a big lad, naturally naturally a big lad. He's called Adam Bromley. Now he stepped down um, from the PGMOL two A, and I'm not blaming the PGMOL. I'm not blaming anyone. I'm just telling you. Uh, story, and I even told him I'm going to talk about this, but he was one of the most natural referees I've ever met in my life. The first time I met him was in a place to coach him, the FA brought him into the coaching group, level three, was in a place called Ilfracoon in Devon, beautiful part of Devon. I live in Western Supermare, it's about an hour and a half, maybe two hours there to drive. And I met him, so I got to the guy, had me a cup of tea, saying thank you to the, to the, uh, the guys at Ilfracoon Cracker Club. And uh, I'm waiting, I go into, hello, how are you doing? I'm, I'm nice to meet you again, blah, 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 blah. No problem at all. So see you later, I'll let you get on with your pre match routine. So I'm waiting, looking. Players are warming up. Players are still warming up. 
And I'm thinking, is this is this guy that's going to come out and warm up? So I go in and I said, I said, you having a warm up? Oh no, big big Plymouth accent. No, me bad. I'm going to there. I don't need to warm up. I'm saving all my energy for out there on a field of play. I'm like, whoa, 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 hang on, lads. You got to a level now where you got two linos and they need to warm up here. If you don't go warm up, you're going to lose all credibility. So I had this big conversation. Anyway, he went out and just showed. And then he gradually started getting into this level of commitment. Tend to be a very successful referee. Really, really liked him as a referee. But he was a natural, naturally big lad. And like Jeff Winter was, we, we all remember Jeff Winter, big, big lad. Now, he's a father of, I think, three, maybe even four children. Really committed family man. Full-time job. An electrician supporting his family wonderfully well. He, he, honest to God, he found it really difficult to get into any form of rigid, rigid fitness regime. But when he referees, he never got any comments about his fitness. He looked a bit loud. No one's never ever failed a fitness test. Never got anywhere near failing a fitness test. But then started getting told, you know, within that realms of the game that, you know, oh, you've got to send your data in because you all send data in. Oh, you haven't, you haven't sent your data in and there's consequences of not sending the data in. So you have these additional pressures that come upon it. Now, I know there's going to be people listening to this saying, oh, well, you know, when you get to that level of football, you've got to be committed to it. Well, they're dealing with people who are full-time. And when you, until you get to select group uh, two, you, you don't go full-time. Most of those players are full-time. So they've got the time to train. They've got the time to be committed to all those things. But the match officials haven't. But they're treated the same as with you. Select Group 1 and the Premier League lads do with the expectations of fitness. And I just think I'd love that sort of situation between being a semi-pro referee in a pro game to a pro referee in a pro game. A little bit of leeway for people like Adam Bromley, who should have stayed on. I, think, I don't even think he was ever out of the top three or four on clubs. So the clubs loved him. They're our stakeholders. But he never, ever got to that body fat levels that, that he wants, which, which is all right, we understand why you need them. There's no, there's no leeway there. So from a psychological point of view, what, what we do worry about as a registered charity is that, or is the day going to come when people have got mental health issues, eating disorders or stuff like that because of the pressure that yeah. can be put on them? And I just wondered what, you know, what you think about that psychologically? I think without doubt, yes. Yeah, the pain will come. People will, will have those types of problems. What... What what organisations associations can do about it though would would be the thing that interests me and really it it is about educating people. It's allowing referees to actually think about the the consequences of being relegated, of being out of the system, um, understanding what impact it's going to have on their lives, and then and if that's framed correctly, then. It's it's going to give them a boost and potentially you know they'll they'll work a little bit harder on maybe the, these aspects of, of fitness could be one thing or other aspects of that performance. Yeah, don't get me wrong, the PGMOL particularly they do some wonderful work on the advice they give for you know nutrition and fitness. They're absolutely world class. There's no doubt about that. But I, but I, I I'm not aware that it sort of caters for that avenue of people who don't quite hit those. There's, I remember someone put it on Facebook. Oh, do you realize that if you're below 20% body fat, you won't be promoted within the PGMOL? And I was like, whoa, 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 hang on a minute, mate. You know, that's not quite right. And, and the, it's this pressures of a figure of almost be under 20% body fat or whatever it is. I, mean, 
guys all data collecting for longer. It's just this, yes, we understand there's a certain level of professionalism and commitment to a, a healthy lifestyle and fitness regime. But, you know, let's be a little bit more realistic with the pressures upon family men because when people like Adam leave the game and it's not just Adam, there's loads. If they feel a little bit disenfranchised, they can't give that, that experience back because they've become a little bit annoyed about it. You know, and I don't even know if Adam's doing anything. We're going to approach him to get involved with some coaching because he's a wonderful, wonderful asset. I just think that's where we, then we get that problem where we're not recruiting a phrase because these people who could help recruit a phrase are disenfranchised and have just turned their back on the game. So I think going back to what we said about coming out of core, coming out of refereeing, this sort of disconnect, I think really needs looking at to help referees leave the game slowly, not so suddenly, to give them a level of support that keeps them connected and keen to give something back to the game and then and bring the, the, the next people through. I just think, you know, I don't want anyone to think about having to go to PGM or a wonderful organisation, brilliant professional people, but just maybe please think about these people who've got real strong family lives uh, and full-time jobs, committed jobs, that might not be able to achieve those targets which are within, you know, the framework of, of what there is there now. Yeah, I suppose that gets back to being listened to as an individual, doesn't it, really? Because the fact that somebody can't make a, a target weight could be down to so many factors. It could be their, their build. It might be a, they might have something going on in their mind um, about, I don't know, eating disorders or anything. You you, you, you really don't know, do you? Um, and if the yeah, organisations got to bear in mind the like the, how referees think, how they feel, and then when they go on to actually leaving the game, if they can have the support in place so that referees leave the game on a positive note, mm. then it, it's a win-win for everybody, isn't it, really? Mm. Um, you talked there about how he could be involved in coaching, potentially would be if he, if he was to, to leave on a, on a positive footing with, with some support. Absolutely, absolutely. And there's a lot of it goes on and... To be honest, we've gained from it as a charity because there's an army of people out there who were, who were cheesed off with the FA or cheesed off the county FAs, but they want to give something back within the realms of an organization. So we give them that. You know, there's no big pressures. Just go out, give them help, whatever that is. You know, one game a month to two games a week. We have loads of coaches who, who do that and they feel part of the game. They feel part of us. And most importantly, they feel part of giving back. And I think there's loads of people out there that want to be able to, able to do that some of them David actually do it on their own they're just not part of anything they just go out and help people and mentor them coach them there's loads of them and I just you call upon them look if you want to get in touch with us we can give you a bit more you know organisation with regards to funeral along to a family and and, you know, and anyone out there who feels a little bit franchised, you know disenfranchised get older with some we'll help you be able to give something back to the game nice it's like you said if, if um, you know body size body shape all that aside if you're fit enough, if you can pass the fitness test, I don't think it's that important. It goes back to uh, the the FA having this unwritten code of what a referee should look like. Shouldn't have beards, shouldn't be there, shouldn't be that. Um, I was going to say that, and you're severely disadvantaged, aren't you, by your beard? Yeah, I'm I'm a big, big frame as well, you know. <laughs> I, sh- I need to stay out of the gym, if anything. Um, <laughs> but, you know, as we're talking about fitness, with COVID going on, there came something out, was it today or something very recently that said uh, 
don't worry about fitness tests for this season um, yeah. because they're not going ahead. So, I, like, I'm I'm going for, for five to four this season. Uh, so I was like, well, how is that going to affect me if uh, if I can't do a fitness test? What what you know will that impede me in in moving forward? And apparently, um, as it is anyway, but I don't know if there'll be more waiting to it now. Fitness will be observed and assessed as you do your games through the season. Yeah. Um, I did. I had the um, thing. Yeah. So preseason fitness tests will not be required for this season for levels three, three and four match officials who passed the 1920 preseason fitness test. Newly promoted level four officials who completed the five to four nomination fitness test last season will be permitted to officiate in season 2021 as a level four without passing a uh, further fitness test. Uh, level three and four officials who did not successfully complete a fitness test will be required to complete a fitness test organized by the Football Association of Venues across the country. Now, I don't know if that's going to be pre-season or through the season. Uh, and then it says newly promoted level four officials who did not complete a nomination fitness test in season 2019-20 due to COVID-19 disruption will be required to complete a nomination fitness test organized by their county FA. Uh, as previously previously instructed in their promotion email. Now, obviously, in the promotion emails, it does say the promotion is subject to a fitness test. Um, but in the same breath, it also says there will be no preseason fitness tests. So that is very confusing. Obviously, fitness is important um, yeah. for a referee. If you, you if you can't pass that fitness test, I think that's a very basic requirement um, for, for most referees, especially the ones going for promotion. Um, but it's going to be a confusing season 2021. The one thing I will say, Ant, though, is, you know, um, if, you know, up to a certain point, and I'm not sure whether it's level uh, 2A and 2B, but but up to below those points, I think it is anyway, you're only having one a year anyway. So you might be training and training and training for that, and then you might drop to a level of fitness, which is good enough to do games, but not at the same level as it was for that to get through that fitness test. So really, in the if I say this in the best way possible, it, it does it matter? Surely, what should matter is that you are fit enough to do everything that is asked of you within 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 the ninety minutes that you do games, and that you keep yourself at a level during the season where you are able to do absolutely everything that is asked of you at the level you're operating at. It's been a while since I've done a fitness test. I think the last one I did was in 2013 and it was the 12-minute run. Is that what we're still doing like nationally or are we doing the FIFA one where you you do a, a run between 75 metres and then walk? And then... I think I think it is the first one still. But I, both, but I think both. it should be the second one. You do both. I think two 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 A's do the, the I think it's called yo-yo test, I think. Yeah, and and below that they do um, the Cooper test, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, but inter- interestingly, Neith, last year I think we brought in the FA, rightly so, that there's going to be a mid-season fitness test as well, mm-hmm. because and we'll, we'll I'll ask David in a minute about about the uh, challenges to a, a fitness test uh, from athletes. But what what we what we said is is that at the beginning of the season, people get ready to pass the test, they don't get ready to referee. I remember uh, there's a, a mentor I had very early on who was a Premier League referee called Ron Groves. A wonderful, wonderful man. Really, really big influence on, on me as an individual and as an FA. He said to me, 
and it always sticks me on the short people have heard it. Don't referee to get fit, get fit to referee. Yeah. And I think we owe it, we owe it to players and ourselves to just try and have a level of fitness test that you know validates our position in the middle of that field of play. Now, yeah, we can go down the route, like you said, with Bromers, who's a fantastic referee, just the build he is, but never failed the fitness test, never got testing out marks. I think there should be more credence on that than the actual passing fitness test. But I will see lads going through the pits and going through the season, later on in the season, and they'll, they look completely unfit. Now, if you're going to go up with your, your uh, referee's kit on a football kit and you don't look like you can sell a decision, then just ask yourself that question. What do you look like? Don't get a bigger kit, lose, lose weight. And I think that's, that's where we sit in responsibility as match officials. So I, I, I do the best we can to be as well prepared for any level of football that we're going to do. So you, David, what challenges do you think mentally, you know, that an athlete will face in regards to a fitness test of this sort? Thinking about it yeah, from the psychological aspect, if you're going to perform as a referee with confidence at your best, you're going to get confidence from from different things. We're, we're all going to be different, um, some, and some people will be will will feel like they have to be you know very very fit in order to to be confident in order to to referee. Other people, I suppose, yeah, it's going to be bottom priority. They might have a have other things going on in their lives. Um, yeah, what's the answer? I suppose. If you if you're one of those referees who just does see it as a tick box exercise, then you need to have a like a, a regular. You need know, you need to find a way, don't you, in order to 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 get yourself to that standard. You need to find out what you enjoy, um, and it might not be going out for a run. It might be you know, going to the gym or doing a CrossFit or whatever it is. But you need to be able to find a way. It might be playing squash or badminton or something. Mm. Um, Yes, about yeah, I was a referee, and that definitely think about from the enjoyment side of things, and then and then think about you know the consequences of you getting fit, what how that can improve your referee, and how it just improves your lifestyle as well. Yeah. I don't know what it's like for you too, and I don't know what it was like for you, Martin, during your career. But when I talk to some of my sort of mates or colleagues as well who referee. We talk about, you know, the various bits of, of work that we're doing to get fit for the season. It's just been talking about in the last couple of weeks, obviously, with the, the pre-season just starting. And um, it's absolutely unbelievable what they say to me in terms of saying, yeah, I managed to do a lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of the other things. But when it comes to actually doing the running and the cardio and all that kind of thing, actually what they need or what the feeling they need is, is like almost a partner to do it with them because it's that hard to mentally. And, and I do feel that running is really difficult, you know, because uh, when you're refereeing, you're not thinking about running, are you? Even though you are running, you're thinking about the next decision or what we need to do, or am I in the right position? Or, you know, there's so many things that come across your mind. So I think that it's about actually where where your head is when you do the running. Uh, and that's why I think it's a brilliant point and totally endorse what David says about you know, if you're playing squash, you think about trying to whack the ball, not all the running around that you do. So I think it's absolutely brilliant to, to sometimes think about referees who really struggle with that psychological brick wall, which is running, and then think about how they can get that intensity workload as, as a builder for them to build up the fitness, uh, but make sure that they do it in a way that means that 
psychologically they're motivated to do it and that intrinsically they're motivated to do it so that it's not it doesn't feel like a challenge and it doesn't feel like like something that, that's really really hard work mm, I think the hardest part of going for a run is getting off your ass, isn't it? <laughs> it is it is completely <laughs> simple like, as that isn't it do you that right. and you're halfway there it's the, it is it's just the getting started and that's well I suppose it's not it's not just running though it's, it's like anything isn't it it's I don't know if you're starting a new like diet or how you know giving giving up something, then then yeah, just get yourself started. If you if you've got I don't know some report to write or whatever, that <laughs> pen to the paper. Well, one thing I would mention as well, you're talking about twelve minute fitness test there. So is that is that a mile and a half, like eight minute miles? That's yeah, expected. Yeah, that's amazing, yeah. yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Yes, this is my advice, maybe from a, a running perspective, being a runner. Um, I wouldn't necessarily just aim for if if you're borderline fitness, not aim for that 12 minutes. Try or just aim for that mile and a half run as well. I would be aiming a little bit higher. Yeah. So make it a you know a two and a half or three mile run in your training. Um yeah, the reason I say that is because then when it comes down to crunch, you've got the stamina there and, you know, the last half a mile, 300 yards, whatever it is, you, you know, you, you can have something in your legs and you, you're able to, to, to kick on there because you know you've done it, but, you know, a good few times and you've done like double the distance. Don't just, don't just, <laughs> you know, run the bare minimum. I think David, I remember a runner, a mate of mine, he was, lives up in the, in the uh, latest, he was running on the fells and all, all the hills and all that. Beautiful. And he said, his coach said to him, with regards to running and then doing a competition or a fitness test, you'd only get out what you put into your legs. Whatever you put into your legs, you'll get out on a test. And mm. that always stuck with me because he said, look, because, you know, when, you, when you're doing a fitness test, and, and I was lucky enough never ever to fail one, even when I was, even when I was 40, is, is the fact that when you finish the fitness test, you're doing your 2007, 2004, whatever it is, 10 minutes after finishing, even though you, you think you're going to die, you think you could do it again? Mm. You're sitting there having a couple. Do you think I could do that again? So there is a psychological barrier there that you know that you need sort of coping mechanisms to cope with. But the funny story of it, I remember um, a lad's own say his name. He was shouting at the fitness test and the football league fitness test, and people were struggling, and he was shouting, "Think of the money! Think of the money!" <laughs> 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 well, different ways to motivate ourselves, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, stick stick some music on as well. That's a that's a good one. Nice motivational music off of video or something beforehand. That can get you pumped up and, and raring to go for your training. That's how I get through every gym session. Headphones in, volume maximum, hard rock. Um, and uh, my, my pre-season training, like you say, is different. I'll spend half an hour on the treadmill and half an hour on the weights pre-season. Uh, and then as soon as the, seat, or as soon as the fitness test is, is passed, it's, it's doing the 12-minute run on the, the treadmill just to maintain that level of fitness. But then it's 45 minutes, 50 minutes on the weights. Um, it's, it's not conducive to, to like improve stamina or anything like that. But I fill out a, a referee shirt quite well, which is <laughs> when I walk on the field. I mean, I've, I've, I'm pretty sure when I put on Twitter, I, I can ref your game. People see my profile photo on Twitter and go, nah, nah, I, I don't. <laughs> not you. <laughs> not this grok. <laughs> But it's better than sitting on a couch, isn't it, mate? It is. So, it is. It's got to be done. Some, it's got to be done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah well, and I remember you, actually. We have to put some photographs up. I remember you. You, you, you know, 
I remember you were a big boy, weren't you? Before you started your, you did a certain thing about fifty odd days in fitness, didn't you? I, I did, yeah, yeah. You look like you, you look like you'd been for liposuction, and you put it on, <laughs> you put it on blow instead of suck. I did. Well, yeah. You were qu- pretty big, weren't you? I was a big, I was a big boy. I was about, I got up to at least about 120, 122 kilos. Yeah. It's because my my diet doesn't really change. I eat the same food uh, in the same quantities a lot of the time. What changes is the intensity and the amount of exercise that I do. Um, it, I'm sure it's probably a, a foundation, really unhealthy to eat the amounts of food that I do, which can be like four or 5,000 calories a day sometimes. Um, and it takes a hell of a lot of work to get that off. But um, uh, it, it's, it, you know, I'll, I'll do the crime, which is eating too much food, but I'll also do the time, which is in the gym. But I, again, over lockdown, I have got a bit of a, a belly going on, which is just because I've not been able to get in the gym. Is I, think is. What, I think we all have, and, and I don't yeah. think there's anything. I think, I think even apart from maybe the referees who have been able to do the games behind the closed doors right at the very top level, I think all referees will probably be finding this pre-season more difficult mm. than, than most because of the fact that, you know, normally you would you finish your season, you'd go on holiday, you might have a month where you sort of let yourself go a little bit. But we've had we've had five. Five months. Yeah. I know. I know. I've got a suntan from the fridge, a light on the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> just it's just and Anderson, I think um I'd like to go back to you, Ant, because I think, you know, I took the the Beside it, saying, you, know, you, you look like you're going for liposuction, they put it on blow instead of suck. You should take a major pat on your back, mate, because you put some serious, serious work in there. And I think that 50 days fitter thing, like you did, was absolutely brilliant. So, you know, major pat on the back to you, mate. It was, yeah, it was 50 days, and I, I lost just under 10 kilos in those 50 days. And it wasn't through uh, starving myself, it wasn't through over exercising, it was just about making small changes, yes, in nutrition. Um, but also in, in the type of exercise that you do, it's the sort of exercise that, uh, it's not just the hour that you do in the gym, but you carry on burning at a higher metabolic rate when you leave the gym over the rest of the course of the rest of the day as well. Just little tips like that. Um, but yeah, makes a big difference. Big difference. What were you doing? Were you walking after that, Linance? So when you talk about burning that higher metabolic rate, we just walk, we like going for walks after you beat the gym. No, so basically the exercise that I was doing, um, yeah. you work your muscles in, in a way that uh, when you stop exercising, those muscles are still um, kind of working for right. maybe an hour, two hours afterwards. Um, yeah. So you'll, you'll find that you get that sort of afterburn effect from, you, from your workout. Impressive. I do, that, I do find it a bit bizarre that, you know, the FA had all on about fitness and everything else. But then do a national partnership at McDonald's. <laughs> that is true. It's that's a fair point. You know what I mean? And I blame the FA because every time I see something sponsored by McDonald's, I think, yeah, I'll go get a couple of Big Macs. <laughs> the FA's fault I'm in them, McDonald's. It's, them. it's not my yeah. own fault. Yeah, no, I've got no self-control. Do you think that um do you think that there's a necessity though? Because I think we're talk we're talking about um there's a lot of talk in the at the minute about football. I know that in La Liga, they've just banned all betting sponsors on the front of shirts. Um, and it's something that's being talked about here. But in terms of the yields that they can give for the smaller clubs in terms of bridging the gap between what the bigger clubs make from Champions League and competition money, you know, European competition money, um, that these betting companies from all over the place... and. When you see how much they earn, I think that I think the boss of Bet Three Six Five pays herself about 
50 million a year salary. You know, it's not, you know, it doesn't surprise you in any way, shape or form to be able to see um, how they can afford to do these massive sponsorship deals. But do you not think that, you know, we're seeing a lot of things happening at the minute. Unfortunately, people are losing their jobs uh, in the FA, people are losing their jobs in, in, in football as well, Arsenal Football Club, 55 members of staff lost a job uh, yesterday or the day before. I, I feel that it's one of these things where it's like if they didn't do it, we'd have even less provision, not just for referees, but for coaches, for players, for everybody. Um, and, I, and I think that that's one of the things that, you know, McDonald's is, is something that, you know, so many people will go through the doors of McDonald's that they can generate unbelievable levels of income that means that they can do these sponsorship deals. And I think that, you know, um, your local corner shop run generation to generation, your local butchers, whoever it might be, they're not turning over the kind of money that, that they'd love to be able to do to be able to sponsor these things, you know? And I think that we saw that in the past, you know, loads of people say in the past, oh, you know, we had uh, we had the meat raffle from the local butcher and all of this that will keep this local community club going. Mm. And, and you, you just don't get that now because times are so tough. Everybody's pinching every penny. And, and, and I just think that, unfortunately, it's one of these things that's an absolute means to an end. And, and that's why, although it sends a bad message, the gambling, the, the fast food, everything, we have to think about if, if nobody else is going to fund, if government's not going to fund, if, if the people who, uh, probably what you would say, people who are acceptable, people whose faces fit, aren't prepared to fund them, we're left in a position where unfortunately we've got to we've got to, we've got to go with, with with people who ultimately their business is, is detrimental to people who have problems with their eating, people who have problems with gambling, people who have problems with drinking, you know, and, and it's it's such a moral dilemma that's so so difficult to deal with. Hmm. I, I think you know it was a bit tongue in cheek about the FA, and I do. McDonald's have put loads of money into the scheme that help young players and, and stuff like that. And that is definitely to be commended. But I just think, I'm sure there's bigger companies out there than McDonald's. I'm sure there's massive, massive fitness organizations out there that, that can give similar amounts of money to it. That gives it a different perception than that. But I think also with betting, I remember um, when Tracy Couch was sports minister, campaign she had about bringing the minimum bet on a fruit machine down. And she was really anti about the betting that, that you know, the betting comes the FA, we're getting into bed with it. So the next thing that they, they stopped doing that. You only got to look at the EFL website, and I think they've got a, a, um, a betting partner on the EFL website. It, this has been in, in 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 the pipeline for a long time about the betting companies, they, and they're all having their own little exit strategies. We've seen it with tobacco, we've seen it with alcohol, you know, even when you do the FA Cup and Liverpool like Carlsberg on the front, the youth team couldn't have Carlsberg on the front. Yeah. Down to FA regulation. So I think there's always been these you know, rules, regulation situations to, to you know, accommodate these sorts of relationships. But I just think Amazon, the way they're going now, you know, mm -hmm. the yeah. way the Premier League are looking at having their own, just broadcasting on TV channels themselves, don't sell it to Sky. You know, yeah. there's loads, there's going to be huge changes in how we see our game of football. And I think, you know, they're the places we should be engaging with. Is that, like, you know, people who, who, you know, do you sell his soul to the devil? Is that what we're saying? You know, because we don't care where the money comes from. Yeah. You know, you know. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Where do we stop? And I think, yeah, we all need to have that moral responsibility to what we do. But you know, our kids go to 
McDonald's that our grandkids do. Yeah. You know, most of us drinking in pubs, you know, some of us don't, but, you know, I think we've all got to be, we've got to be realistic and our own yeah. responsibilities to, we can't slag off the FA when we're doing deals with McDonald's and our grandkids are going there too. So yeah, yeah. I think it's just, it's just seeing the bigger picture and, you know, why aren't the FA doing national sponsorship with someone like, you know, Virgin Gins or someone like that, mm. you know, everyone active gins, you know, do that. You don't have to make money out of it. Just give them a profile for yeah. them to do it. And I think there's lots of little, little things I think the FA and England can, can do. What is it? They do it now. BT, one of you with Vauxhall, then he worked with, with BT. Yeah, I think it's BT, yeah. I with Mars for a while, weren't they? Nationwide. Yeah. yeah. You know, you know, I just think some of these messages out there yeah. that, you know, they, they'll say to don't put, you know, Carlsberg on the front of a, of a Liverpool shape, or they'll put Mars on the training top of an England shape. Yeah, and I've seen that with Liverpool as well. Um, they're trying to point them in the direction uh, of using the, the training tops for the youngsters because it's a, is it AXA yeah. they have on there, which mm-hmm. is different to the, to the shirt sponsors. I don't know why. Is, is the shirt sponsor still not the bank? Yeah, standard. Standard. yeah, yeah. Right. So I still don't really understand that. Why is one bank better than another bank? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think it's it's product. It's you know again, it's a game. I mean, when you you know again going back to what you said about you know every penny counts. With um with Liverpool and and, and all those top like world class clubs, they're going to sell off everything. You know, from training tops to oh yeah. I, I'm surprised actually that there isn't more advertisers when you look at some of these. Shirts in, in Turkey and some other federations are absolutely covered in, in oh, yeah. advertisements, yeah. you know, they're all, and they're really well placed. You know, you sell when it's up on your shoulder, um, that'll cost you more than yeah. on the back of the shirt mm-hmm. because this is in camera shot. A polo and a trackie might have more, uh, yeah. than than training gear because the training gear probably isn't going to be on TV, but an after match polo might be because people yeah. don't do, and, you know, it's very rare. You'll, well, you might, you might see like. Do a post match interview when you've got the Liverpool shirt on, but they normally sh- shoot it where the sponsor's hidden. Yeah. So that's why you have a lot of fear on collars and stuff mm-hmm. like that. That's all well thought out processes where people, yeah. when I do deals with grassroots football clubs, I'll say to them, you know, sell off the back of the shirt, the front of the shirt, the shorts. Only recently did the FA have allowed yeah. home sponsors, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. You know, they've only released one now, haven't they, in the, in the conference in National League? You know, yeah. National League on one arm and a, and a sponsor on the other. And it's not on the, It's weird, isn't it, Martin? Do you know, I think it's a bit strange how it's allowed in National League, it's allowed in the Premier League, but it's not allowed in Championship League one and League two. I know, it's bizarre, absolutely bizarre. And it's, it's the same with refereeing. I, I really believe that if the FA allowed referees to wear individual sponsors in leagues, like the Tool Station Leagues or one of our partners, just imagine if you got some sponsorship for them to wear on every one of their shirts, every one of their games, Spec Savers or something like that. Now, I know Specsavers come in to do a deal with um, and Carlsberg to do a deal with the Academy. Well, it got, it got shooed. Carlsberg, because obvious reasons, a lot of people under yeah. 18 in the East Academy, but Specsavers? They do the Scottish refs at the elite level. They've got them. They've got them. Yeah. They've got, why they do not with the Premier League or the FA? And I just think there's, there's lots of things I, I believe the FA can do in a more socially responsible way to bring money in for our game than dealing with people yeah. who give up images like Matt Tunnels and betting companies, I, I really do. I really, really. The referees at the FA Cup wear the same ones that the PGMOL wear. Yeah. Now that money is done with the PGMOL. I'm not aware that any most of it goes to the FA for the FA Cup. Yeah. Well, there's lots and lots of things you can do with with concept football. How many how many level fours is he? Fourteen hundred is he? Three hundred odd. 
level threes with the 400s. So, I mean, it's a lot of games each week that those particular people at that level could have something on their hands. Yeah. That could help referee education. Well, those, those yeah. referees are, are filmed for, like, the, the social media channels, all yeah. that sort of stuff. So, there's, there's now um, revenue streams that weren't there before, especially social media, all that mm. sort of stuff, ex, ex, exposure that they wouldn't have had before. Well, could, that could ultimately pay for a referee's kit as well. Some yeah. of these things, you know, everybody wants to talk about, everybody talks about referees not all wearing the same kit and all looking a bit different. But if that a sponsor would pay for that referee's kit and then they could all be wearing the same and they could all be... Yeah. Uh, or at least, at least yeah. massively subsidise it. Because well, yeah, yeah. what, what's the night kit at the moment? Like 70-odd quid, 80 quid more? Yeah. So it's a fair yeah. whack for, a, you know, especially if you're a young referee, 16, I've got a change colour top. I've got a change colour top and I've waited because they've just changed the change colour tops this year. They've got the same style but different colours. And I got one of the colours that's been discontinued because of the price. I, got, I think I got it for 35 quid with the postage included. And, and to get a new one, you're talking 45, 50 quid just for a top. Just the shirt, yeah. Well, trust me, trust me. I, I'm sort of a sports manufacturer, um, well-known one from a referee's point of view. And we want to sell them off as cheap as we can. Now, you look at some of the companies out there that sell referees kits, and they're charging seven quid, six quid, five quid for a printed badge. I'm in the game. That This is an embroidered badge. For those on radio, I'm pointing at your left breast. Is that we can do it. the He's FA? Pointing at his booby. <laughs> Some people call it a man boob, not a left <laughs> breast. But there we go. But the um, the printed badge that you buy from any single supplier of kit, trust me, I've got the machines that do it. Cost about twenty five p. Why are they selling them for six for seven quid? It's a massive what, market. What are you doing? What are you doing? That they probably make, they make more margin on the actual volumes than they do. So take some responsibility. So. We're going to push hard to get a kit that is really mega cheap so people can feel a bit better when they go out there and it'll, it'll be a good brand and it'll be, we won't make any money out of it. We just want to give a really good option to people coming through that kind of, you can lessen the overheads of blowing a whistle. Mm. I saw that post that you did um, about the, the Umbro kit. It was in Ref Support uh, it was a couple of days ago yeah. and, I, and it created a lot of debate. Mm. Um, and I have to say, my personal preference is that I, I, I like the Nike because, it, it, and I think it all comes down ultimately. It's like boots, you know. You might want to wear Adidas boots. I might want to wear Nike. I might want to wear Puma. David might want to wear, um, you know, Juma. I'm an Adidas man. Adidas, <laughs> I <laughs> so, Adidas or Adidas? We always, I used to say Adidas. Is Adidas. Like a, it's got to be a scouts thing. It's like that thing, you know, have you seen the Liverpool thing they've released for Nike? Nike. Uh, it's Nike. Nike. It's Nike. <laughs> yeah. And there's an old woman at the end of it goes, Nike? It's Nike. <laughs> and it's like, it's <laughs> just going off on Sanchez again. But I, I just think uh, on, on the kit fronts and stuff, you know, when you look, add up what it costs to be a referee, I think I think it's the same. You must get similar in running, David. You know, there must be like people who want a certain type of brand in running, like you do. No, you're right. Yeah, let's face it. Everybody goes for certain brands. I play golf as well. You know, you'll get people going for nice Callaway or Titus golf clubs or, or golf balls. So, yeah, so it's the same. Does it make you play better, mate? Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this time next year, I'll be off scratch. Yeah, <laughs> oh, fair play. Fair play. Fair play, indeed. <laughs> well, I think we're uh, talk, look at wrapping up now, mate. Nearly two hours. It's it's it has gone on a while, that hasn't it? 
you want to put in, mate, that, um, you know, obviously, thank you very, very much for your time, but is there anything that you want to wrap up about with the work you do, how people can get in touch with you and anything that you would like to promote? Yeah, so uh, on my website, which is the three w's.sport-excellence.co.uk, you'll find a range of blogs there across different sports there. There are quite a lot for football. Also thinking about the ref, like the refereeing angle, there's a lot of stuff there for like the younger ref, potentially like younger referees, because it's aimed at sort of children and parents. Um and I've got a podcast called Demystifying Mental Toughness. So yeah, feel free to tune into that with some nice guests on there. Hopefully some some referees in the future as well. Yeah, we'll we'll put it on our social media website um, platforms. You've got you've got a quite a good following all of us. So we'll uh, we put links out to your website and articles and stuff and um and hopefully give you some uh, you know good exposure because you, you you've brought a lot to this podcast today. I've learned a lot and I just hope that people out there have, have learned a lot too. That's been really enjoyable as well. It's been good fun. And yeah, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. No, cheers, mate. Just before we sign off, because it feels like we were just getting to the end there. And I just wanted to say there was very recently two petitions created, one on the referee <laughs> forum, one on Ref Support UK. And it's about the use of either exclusively black whistles or the use of whatever colour whistle that I've left the gas on, I've got to go. use. And I've I just want to say on both petitions uh, that the current score is that the, the ban coloured whistles for all referees has been signed by three people. That's that's that many. I haven't misspoke there. That's three people. Three people. Whereas the, whereas the petition that says allow the use of coloured uh, whistles for referees without discrimination, because that's the important thing here, is referees being discriminated against by this dinosaur mentality. And uh, that's had that's <laughs> that's had sixteen signatures. So 16. you're talking five hundred percent more people want to be want to have the freedom to use whatever they want in terms of kits um, on the field of play. And I think that's important to just acknowledge and recognise at this point. Well, I want an independent inquiry into who you got to vote <laughs> for, the, for those. It's it's just disgraceful that people should be looking uh, at using colours whistles when. When you know it was traditionally beautiful black whistle. <gasps> Let's just powers. stop you there, Martin, because you've used the word traditional. I want to say to you that if you were pro- if you oh, were a proper traditionalist, you used a steel Acme Thunderer because that's what was created in the uh, late eighteen hundreds, right? But if you was a proper proper traditionalist, you wouldn't use a whistle at all. You'd wave a handkerchief about on the field of play because that's what the well, proper first refs did. Well, I, I believe in that. As long as it was a black handkerchief, I'd be really happy to get along with that. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, I'm with Martin. Black whistles all the way. Where do you stand on it, David? Yeah, I'll go with a black and white whistle. <laughs> <laughs> we all know why that is <laughs> how you do Nathan anyway <laughs> and then as far as the petition goes that is not the right petition people should be signing it <laughs> should be a very different one yes there is there's a very good petition out there that does involve 80,000 signatures okay. and a petition to a certain footballing authority but I will say oh, no oh I'm with you now yeah I'm with you now <laughs> but funny enough, the, 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 the idea of, of the position coming out was in response to how stupid 
there's a certain football team started a petition about the wonderful oh, Anthony Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. So we just thought, you know what, if that change.org or whatever it is can allow such a stupid, stupid petition of one of the best referees that we've got, he might he might have made an error, but yeah. so, when, when he makes enough, enough errors of the same as a player does, then, then come at us. But to yeah. allow a petition like that, that's why we, th- we wanted to do something like this on a coloured whistle. So it was a bit of a protest <laughs> against a ridiculous position against yeah, the world. I don't, know, I don't know what you're on about there because I'm deadly serious. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my excuse for losing. <laughs> there it is. All right, then. I, I guess we'll wrap it up there then. Uh, again, thank you very much, David, uh, for joining us today. Yeah, That's you. been episode six. If you're watching this on YouTube or Facebook or you're listening to this on Spotify, thank you very much, and we will see you on the next episode. Having trouble tracking who can play and who can't? Download Down to Play before your next match. The first app to purely focus on player availability. Get Down to Play for free in the App Store and Google Play. This week's Selk podcast was brought to you by Down to Play, the simple app for next game availability.